Hello, my name is Julia Steyer, a contributor to Stage Raw, and welcome to Stages of Our City. Stage Raw is a Los Angeles-based theater discussion website that seeks to discover hidden theatrical gems and companies in the unexpected corners of our region. Join us for a conversation among Stage Raw critics about what they've seen in the area and sometimes beyond. From small black box theaters to large commercial venues, the critics of Stage Raw make it their mission to witness the wide range of stories that our theater makers are telling. Please welcome our moderator, founding editor Stephen Lee Morris. This is Stages of Our City. Inga Tudor, Taylor Cass, and Dana Martin, welcome to Stages of Our City and part two of episode 17, part two and week two of The Hollywood Fringe, which is what we're concentrating on. We have a lot of shows to cover. So Taylor, can you lead us off with The Pale Gypsies Traveling Musical, a one-person show? Hi, absolutely. Um, So this was my first Fringe show of this season, and I was, they said it, you know, the theater was in the back of an Irish import shop and that is truly where it is. Um, It was really cool. Um, And I honestly think like that vibe really set the scene of the show itself. So it's written and performed by Chris Murphy and it's essentially like five songs that have a like a pirate somehow theme or like island theme very like like songs that tell a story and they all kind of flow together it actually really made me think about like what is the difference between a concert versus a piece of theater because for me in this piece I think the line was a bit blurred and it leaned a bit more towards a concert for me um Chris Murphy did you know, have transitions between songs, like almost more of a stand-up comic kind of delivery in the way that he would introduce songs and like banter with the audience a little bit. It, it seemed more conversational than like mm-hmm. performance-based, if I um, were to say. But for me, I lost the bit of the through line um, that linked all of the songs together. That was going to be my question. That was going to be in yeah. terms of what could you can could you pull out of a, a unifying thread here? Yeah, or? I mean, I think I I would struggle to find like an overarching theme or story. Um, I mean, the title of the show itself is The Pale Gypsies Traveling Musical Review. And The Pale Gypsy is supposed to be a character that Chris kind of puts on to tell these stories. But for me, the character wasn't quite specific enough. And the set was so bare bones. It was just like Chris, just his instruments and like very little like sound or lighting effects as well. So it did seem a little bit too colloquial almost for like a piece of theater. Maybe a bit Spartan or something. A bit Spartan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. The Pale Gypsies Traveling Musical Review. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah. Dana, Mr. Chonkers. Mr. Chonkers is a a silly name for a silly set of characters and a very silly and absurd 50 minutes. Uh, Completely worth it, though. It (laughs) is one of those sort of late night, you don't really know what you're going to get. The audience is a little rowdier and it is such a... A nod to the fringe in that it's just so bizarre. (laughs) Like, it's really hard to even explain. I could tell you there was a a tiny hat gag where he spent time just pulling off hat after hat and then having this (laughs) 
reaction to it. And it was just so endearing and silly and in a way uplifting. And he was such a mess. So the writer and performer of this, his name is John Norris, and he is a master at connecting with the audience. And he had this character persona that was a very serious actor at the very prestigious Hollywood Fringe Festival. And he was selected among many. And he is very, very important. And, and it was not overdone. It was just so, and it was, it was this sort of love letter and also poking fun at actors, you know, with all of our things we have going on. Like, for example, he had these... <laughs> these shin guard or the uh, knee guards on, uh, which we know it's not pretty underneath. All of us actors know that. Uh, but to, to make a joke out of it, it was just, uh, it was really fun. I brought my mom with me and, you know, it was so fun to watch her giggle and be included just like everyone else. I, I really recommend just to go and see the silliness. He's, he's ultimately taking this to Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So it's very much in uh, process right now. He is trying things out live on the audience. So you don't know what you're going to get till you get there. And he's just going to receive whatever the audience gives him. And uh, it's a great time. Sounds like a delightful splash of madness. Mr. Chonkers. Thank you, Dana. Uh, Inger, you saw a production called Tree, also a solo performance. Yes. Tree was somewhat in the vein of, I guess, Mr. Chonkers. Is it Chonkers? Chompers? What I loved about Tree, uh, the solo artist is Natasha Mercado. And as you can imagine, she is a tree. And when you're sitting there waiting for the show to start, there, there's sort of a wonderful cardboard tree in the middle of the stage, very little set or anything else. Lots of ambient sound of like the forest and what have you. And when she comes out, it is just, she's delightful. She's hysterically funny, which... For what she's talking about, she comes out as a tree who basically says, you know, I really think I would prefer to be human. And as she explores this idea of, you know, what it might be like to be human and the things that are issues for us, she leads the audience in a show called a fictitious game show called Would You Rather? And so she poses these questions. For instance, would you rather be someone who provides uh, carbon dioxide so that the trees can give more oxygen and help to make the world a more livable place? Or would you rather be someone that everyone sees as beautiful all the time for like a week? And the answer is never what you think it's going, <laughs> which is what I really loved. And what she's really a master at, besides just being hysterical, is she managed to get everyone in the audience involved in a way that didn't feel, you know, sometimes when you're at a stand-up show and you're concerned that the comic is going to turn to you, it did not have that feel. Um, so she got everyone involved. But what was so lovely about it was as she explored these questions, when you got to the moments that were very poignant and were really asking a deep philosophical question, they landed and they really resonated because everything else was so funny. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a twist, which I don't want to give away, but it was a really delightful one person show. I would absolutely recommend people to go see it. It's fun. It says it's 16 plus. I, I would say this. Yes, I would say that's true. There was a little bit of humor in there. I wouldn't say it was off color, but it was definitely like right on the border, but only in, in one of the would you rather scenarios. 
but definitely delightful. You leave clapping for her and just clapping about being a human, hopefully a conscious human. The play is Tree at the Hollywood Fringe. Thank you, Inger. Taylor, back to you. Nor Inayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy. This sounds, yeah. like, a, sounds like a really interesting premise. Well, did it live up to that? Very much so. So this um, solo work was written by Almanya Narula, who based the story off of the true life tale of Noor Anayat Khan, who was a spy for the French resistance during World War II. Mm. Um, and she was captured and refused to sell out her co-conspirators in the resistance. And she was executed by the Nazis. So this is a like 30 minute solo show. It takes place after she's tried to unsuccessfully escape from the Nazis and they recapture her. And it's extremely compelling. Almanya Narula is one of those actors who you can't take your eyes off of. And carrying a solo show, even for 30 minutes, is just an unbelievably difficult feat. But she's so specific and has such an intensity and like quiet ferocity to her performance that, you know, it was one of those shows where I write like three notes and was just locked in <laughs> for the whole rest of it. Um, she was fantastic. And I thought the structure of the show was really interesting because it's set as she's speaking to a Nazi officer after her capture and they're trying to like get her to sign this document. So she's sometimes speaking directly to him and this character is not present on stage. Um, Sometimes she's speaking directly to the audience. Sometimes she is kind of like reenacting something from her childhood and recounting a story for us. But despite the various threads that are woven throughout the show, it never felt unfocused to me. So I I had never heard this story before. And I think, you know, this play is really necessary to like tell these stories and to have them told by people of color and by women of color and telling their own stories and their own history. So I felt really privileged to see it. Thank you, Taylor. Noor Inayat Khan, The Forgotten Spy. Um, and after the show, the, she is no longer forgotten. So thank you for that. Dana, Steps of Glory. Sure. So Steps of Glory, I, I will say before I continue, it, Anya Rasik, who wrote and directed and produced Steps of Glory, was a former student of mine. Uh, I have not seen this. Uh, I had not seen this previously, but it was really interesting to be there as a reviewer, knowing what the process of the actor was in terms of their schooling. So the play itself was about Lord Byron. And it was essentially about the relationship or lack of relationship between Lord Byron and his daughter. Uh, So it really, in the first half of it, uh, was her embodying him and finding the uh, grandiosity and finding the brilliance of the text and uh, and really just finding him in a place that was um, isolated from family. And so um, the connection between his daughter was all of these ways that the family and his daughter were reaching out for his attention and for his love and for his time, mm-hmm. which he never was able to provide. And mm-hmm. so 
It was on one hand, his glorious life, his glorious story, but the absolute lack of any kind of glory when it came to his personal relationships. So in the second half, it uh, transforms into the point of view of his daughter there. So I wanted more of both. I have to admit, I, I wanted to see more of Lord Byron's life and, uh, and essentially learn more about him. And, and I also wanted to get to know the daughter a little bit more. I, I felt like I, I, there was, um, I wanted wanted it to be really about Lord Byron and the embodiment of him or his daughter. It was a dream. It was very dreamlike in the second half. Um, but I feel like that could have been leaned into much more, um, but overall very much a work in progress. Um, very clever how it was executed. The, the set was very um, simple. It was essentially a table and chairs that was used. There's a lot of that going around the fringe. Has to be. <laughs> many tables, many chairs. I've seen uh, all kinds of variations on that theme. Uh, steps of glory. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Inger, back to you. Shubap Dubey Had. So Shubap Dubey Had is a musical I probably, it's probably a little bit closer to being somewhere between a musical and a cabaret. The writer, composer, and executive producer is Gordon Stephen Matheson Jr. And my understanding is that this is a prequel to a piece that he had done before called No Matter What, W-A-T-T. So he spoke at the beginning for quite some time as the actors were sort of setting up on stage and they're setting up as though they're in an AA meeting or about to start an AA meeting. And uh, Mr. Matheson talked a lot about, and the musical sort of deals with this. He is trying to create a place where those who are dealing with issues and pain and recovery can have a life of passion and compassion. So, the message of it is really lovely. And I thought there were some amazing performances. There were two people that really stood out to me. It's a cast of about six. Two people that stood out to me. There was a young man, Alex D. Hayward, who was a phenomenal singer, also a good dancer, but really an amazing singer. Alariza Navarez, wonderful, wonderful voice. And there was another young woman, Aurelia Myers, who beautiful movement. So there was movement throughout the piece. My challenge with the piece was this. I thought the performers were very talented. I thought the message was really, really important. I thought the material was not great. But I also know that I, I think they are trying to work this out. So right now they're doing it as a 50 minute piece with the idea toward a full production. So I believe mm -hmm. this is sort of the mm -hmm. let's test the waters and see what it's like. Mm -hmm. and, and the challenge with material for me was this. The songs were very short because it's 50 minutes. They can only be short, but incredibly repetitive. Um, and in a way, I, I forget who was saying this about something else, but for me in a musical, it, songs period, but in a musical in particular, the songs need to tell a story. And they did to some extent because, you know, the framework of this is someone who's had several bad things happened in their life, which is what drove them to substance abuse and then finding out that they were diagnosed with AIDS. So a lot of, uh, a lot of bad events happening and trying to overcome that. But like the lyrics would be just uh, so-and-so has secrets, but that would be the majority of the whole song is so-and-so mm -hmm. has secrets, so-and-so has secrets. Like, and I, there's a point like after the fifth time you say so-and-so has secrets, I, I got it. So <laughs> I need a few more lyrics. 
So that was my challenge with it. I think the message is great. The talent was great. It needs more work. So I'm hopeful for this piece because I think it has a lot to say, but right now it feels very, very pedestrian, simple, too simple. It's too mm-hmm. simple. Shubhap Dubey had sounds like a work in development. Yes, it is a work maybe, in development. Maybe on its way to evolving. And I think it has the potential to go. Thank you, Inger. Taylor, back to you, teaching and teaching a robot to love. Yes. I also saw a musical, and this is one of those musicals that makes you love musical theater. It is like a very fun, bright, queer musical. It's kind of set in this like futuristic, techie city where um, there's like a Steve Jobs slash Elon Musk-esque tech guru who enlists his like interns to create like the most powerful AI ever created to like anticipate everybody's wants and needs. So there's this, you know, really intelligent young developer named Mary who, along with the help of her roommate Fawn, connects like an AI program with a actual human brain to create a sentient sort of being who eventually gets a body, uh, which is crazy. I think the like premise is so fun and so so interesting. Um, And the characters are really (laughs) beautifully fleshed out. The Mm. lyrics are fun. The melodies are very catchy. Um, To me, I think the, like once the AI being becomes a human being, the plot kind of got a bit sparse um, and didn't seem to be as driving as the first half. But I think the world is so specific. Premise Mm. is so fun. The characters are so interesting. I think that that can easily be fleshed out in future iterations of this project. Very interesting. It's interesting that we think that theater is a time we can reflect the human soul and you have an artificial, you have an AI character on the stage and the minute totally. they become a human, the story drops away. I mean, it's it's so, it's like almost, the story was definitely there and it was, it became more about the character of Marsh, um, who was the AI. Yes. And I think the, the metaphor and the allegory became very clear that this is kind of a metaphor for a trans person, like yes. finally feeling at home in yes. their body and beginning to like be a human being on their own terms. Yes. Um, yes. But I think that once yes. that character became really central to the plot, some of the more um, pressing plot elements became a little bit sent to the background as that character was more featured. I think that if the show can kind of incorporate the strong characterization with a maybe more pressing conflict or action, it would be like even more attention grabbing and even more mm-hmm. compelling. But I had so much fun watching the show. The costumes were fantastic. I'm going to shout out the costume designers, Alex and Julie Abin, Bain, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I think the costumes really helped to build the world and place us all in this like, yeah, fun, bright, glittery, queer, futuristic, like celebration. So it's a really fun two hours, that's for sure. Teaching a Robot to Love. Thank you, Taylor Katz. Dana, can you close us out with the vividly named play, um, Abortion Weekend? Yes. Abortion Weekend. I think that the title is very provocative. And I think that is exciting because it immediately makes people feel feelings. 
and it brings up thoughts and feelings. Uh, so this is a play that is two-person play. It was written, directed, produced by Jaris Carter, who I do know. Jaris is a former student of mine, and Marisha Dupree. And essentially what the plot is, is it is two best friends and they are seniors in college and they're at the verge of this really big portal into true adulthood. They're really trying to figure out who they are, what their place in the world is. And Ayana, one of the friends, so it's Deja and Ayana, Ayana finds herself pregnant and she's really uh, surprised by it and of course confused by it and doesn't have the tools and doesn't know what to do. So they decide to, these girls decide to go on an abortion weekend and uh, with the idea being that they will induce uh, an abortion. And it is treated, it is handled with care. And it is handled with such consideration. The first half of it, when this is introduced, is infuses the truth. It infuses statistics into what it is they are being confronted by and and dealing with. But it also is extremely stylized. So it takes this really, these wild turns and we go into a game show at one point and we go on this roller coaster at another point. And uh, then we're in this club scene and it just feels very, uh, very much uh, like the characters trying to find their way. In the meantime, there are invoked all of the different support systems they have. Uh, different family members are brought into the picture very slowly. So it is at first Ayana's auntie comes in and is asking, How, can I help you? What, what, what is going on with you? And there is a denial. Depending on, of course, you know, at, at that, uh, I would say, age friend to be the primary support. But the family gets called in more and more strongly as the play progresses. And as the play progresses, the family then becomes the support and becomes the very structured guidance and the the truth that Ayana needs and the help that she needs and the support that she needs to make her own choice and to uh, to do what is best for her and her future. Mm -hmm. And so it moves in a way that you go, I, I, this is, I, I don't know how this is going to be presented to me. Uh, and it faces and confronts the uh, multifaceted and complex and difficult and personal choice that people who are pregnant and don't want to be have to make. And so it was also watching through the lens of all of these different characters, someone be thrust into adulthood, um, especially when the, the lens keeps getting pulled out in the play to encompass the judgment and the hatred and the vitriol that is placed and the, the, the audacity of, of people to project their belief system, their judgments onto a person trying to make the best choice for their own life. So I was very moved by this play. I felt very confronted and supported by this play. I think it is uh, important to go and be confronted 
which mm-hmm. is what this play does, but also it is uh, uplifting. I mean, the other the other thing that I just found so interesting is we laughed through much of it. It was it was uh, treated with humor as well. So I recommend uh, Abortion Weekend, and I hope that that it gets seen. It sounds like um, a really important play for this particular political moment too. So thank you, thank you, Dana Martin, Inger Tudor, and Taylor Cass. The Hollywood Fringe continues for one more week, and some of these shows will continue afterwards, at least a handful of them, and we will keep you posted on that as well. This is part two of our this week's Hollywood Fringe coverage. The, this podcast will appear side by side. If you want to see part one, it will appear on the same reviews page. The two sections will appear side by side. Thank you all. Happy fringing. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today on this episode of Stages of Our City. To learn more about Stage Raw or the Los Angeles theater scene, visit www.stageraw.com. And be sure to support us on Patreon so that we may continue to highlight the work of theater makers here in the City of Angels. I'm Julia Steyer, and this has been Stages of Our City. Till next time!